Today's stop is Ayin Gibel. <coughs> we will be starting the last parak um, momentarily, or not momentarily, but later, uh, a little later today. We start about eight lines from the bottom. We are wrapping up some of the discussion about the Bigadim and the different Big Kunan, and also went to the Klei HaMikdash. And just one last final point. Um... Ma'asev uh, Rokem it's five lines from the bottom quoting a Pasuk just to deal with a different way in which some of the uh, various uh, weavings are described so one is Ma'asev Rokem embroidery five, just quoting the Pasuk another is Ma'asev Choshev which is craftsman work but more I presumably understood here like a weaving so I'm Rabbi Eliezer Shorokmin B'makom Shechoshevim so the first explanation is is that, that they embroider where they you know where they have pre-intended so like basically they like designate the area and like you know people do needlepoint you have the whole thing that's pre-painted and then you sort of you know you do your needlepoint where you know based on the way the colors have been painted on so that's one explanation um, Rashi I believe says where's Rashi um, Rashi says about 10 lines from the top 20 lines from 15 lines from the top so you paint the design and then you embroider it um, so they actually describe different things rokem is an embroidery a needlework and therefore it's one image choshev is ma'ase oreg is a weaving the image is woven in the design is woven in therefore two images now Rashi actually says what this means is that when you do the needlework it's the same image back and front and when you do the weaving it's a different image on each side to me it would have seemed the opposite that when you do the needlework because it's a needlework you can do you know whatever your embroidering is it only creates one image it doesn't create a back and a front you know because you could do something on the surface without it going all the way through whereas when you do a weaving if you're weaving it into the garment so then it appears on both sides of the garment so to, so anyway but that is the difference between the Maserokem and Maserokem that was just a wrap up of yesterday now we start with a new topic today when the Kohen Gadol is wearing the eight begadim, then only when he's wearing those eight begadim can you ask of the Urim Vitumim, you know, God's name, which was written inside of the Choshev, and, you know, as we know, this happened in the Neim, it's already mentioned in Bamidbar, that Yoshua, you know, when Moshe gives over the authority to Yoshua, or God commands him to, that Yoshua will stand before Elazar, the Sha'alob, the Mishpat Ha'urim, Lifnei Hashem, um, and so on. So only when the Kohen Gadol is wearing the eight begadim. When Rav Dimi came from Eretz Yisrael, he said, The same Begadim a Kohen Gadol wears, the eight Begadim, uh, those would be the Begadim that the Mashuach Milchama, the Kohen that's anointed to lead the people into the battle. You know, the Torah says, and he gets up and says, who, made a new, who built a new house, who married a wife, who did this, everybody should go, um, you know, and so on. That Kohen that leads the people into battle, they would anoint him for that purpose. And if he would come back and want to serve in the Beit HaMikdash, he would also wear the eight Begadim like the Kohen Gadol. Okay, so let's take a look where this is coming from. Shenemar, Ubideh HaKodesh Asher La'aron, the holy garment for Aaron, Yulibanav Acharav, shall be for his descendants after him. So I didn't say Acharav, just say Yulibanav. So it means, Shemishba Bigdula Acharav. Anybody that follows him in the sense of a, of a position of authority, of, of status, 
um, even if now again you might have said okay if you follow him and you're a Kohen Gadol but it's interpreting Acharav in a pretty broad sense so anybody after Aaron that has a position of status also wears the eight Begadim like Aaron wore the eight Begadim so now the Gemara is going to spend a lot of time challenging this let's take a look Masi Rav Adabaravas Rav Adabarava asked on this Yamile Kadim some say it was asked anonymously Yochu Yubinosha Mashiach Meshuach Milchama Mishamesh Tachtav Dersha Benosha Kohen Gadol Mishamesh Tachtav so there is, this is a brighter in the context of the fact that the Torah says that a Kohen normally brings a Mincha you know in the morning and in the afternoon we learned that the Asirit Ha'ifa and it wants to know the Kohen Gadol and it wants to know who's included in that category so would it be for example a Mashuach Milchama he's also anointed with the oil it says the Kohen that's anointed with the oil brings this Mincha and the writer says no, because the pasuk indicates, based on a, a, a you know read they have of the words of the pasuk, that only the kohen who in, is, inherits this position. And we know that a mashuach milchama, his son doesn't inherit. Now, even by the way of kohen gadol, and you might remember we learned this a while ago, kohen gadol is different than, for example, melucha, you know, uh, uh, kingship. Kingship is is really seen as an inherited position. You know, I mean, you just have to look at England, you know, you see, it's all about, you know, who is the, you know, who's the next child, who gets the kingship, and so on. Whereas, whereas Kohen Gadol, the principle is you, if you, give, you have a preference for the child of the Kohen Gadol, but ultimately, you know, that's sort of like other things being equal. Ultimately, if there's somebody that's clearly more worthy, you would give it to the person who's clearly more worthy. But there's an element of inheritance even by the status of Kohen Gadol. Whereas by Mashuach Milchama, there's no None of that. Whoever's anointed for leading the people to order, nothing. His son has no preference over the next candidate. Okay, so there's the, this is a brighter that's trying to identify that issue because that's relevant for determining that the Mashiach Muhammad does not bring the daily the mincha the asiri taifa. It's only somebody that there's some sense of inheritance to the post with, and it asks that question. How do you know this? So let's read that again. Maybe the son of the Meshuach Nechama has some, you know, has some um, assumed uh, inheritance of the post, like the son of the Kohen Gadol is normally preferred or has some assumed inheritance of the post. The verse teaches, The verse so seven days, again, remember this gets back, us back to the seven days at the beginning of the Masechet, the seven days of the Miluim. Seven days the Kohen will wear them, the, 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 the garments, um, um, that he will got, you know, um, the, or the Kohen who's looking at future generations will serve, you know, in the stead, from Aaron's children, in Aaron's stead, meaning the future Kohen Gadol, will wear these garments for seven days in order to initiate himself into the post that will go into the Omoed. So, only the Kohen who is able to, who will come into the Omoed, meaning do the Avoda on Yom Kippur, that's what it means, right, to go into the Omoed, that special role. Only the Kohen Gadol who will go into the Omoed, do the Avoda Yom Kippur, only he will, um, is in this, will, you know, is in this Pasuk of Yobashem HaKohen Tachtav Mi Banav. Now, how is that relevant? Because what that tells you is, is that, just one minute, I just want to check one thing in Rashi. Um, Yeah, so right now what we are emphasizing is, is the phrase of HaKohen Tachtav Mi Banav, the Kohen who serves under him from his sons, which means that we're emphasizing the fact that there's an inherited aspect to this role. 
and who is and which role is there an inherited aspect so it says Asher Yavoel Oomoed the role of the Kohen Gadol who goes into the Oomoed that is right Yavashem Tachtav Mibanav that role there's some sense of an inherited status of the status of the Kohen Gadol as opposed to the Mashuach Milchama who is not Asher Yavoel Oomoed who doesn't go into Oomoed who does not have that role of right going into the Kodesh Kedashim on Yom Kippur so for him there is no Tachtav Mibanav there's no there's no sense of an inherited status okay so where are we up to right now right now we are saying that this is a Brita the Brita says in order to prove who brings the Asiwi Ta'ifa that's not brought by the Mashuach Milchama because that's not an inherited status how do you know it's not an inherited status? Because the Torah talks about wearing the Bigdei Kuna, the, seven big, the eight Bigadim, in order to transfer over the status of the Kohen Gadol. And it describes who is it that wears this, the one who inherits the status, Tachtav Banav, And you inherit the status if you are for the position of going into Oomoed, for the position of entering into the Kodesh for the role of Yom Kippur. So only the Kohen Gadol, which is that role of going into Oomoed, that's a position that's inherited. The role of Meshuach Milchama is not. That's the end of the Brayta. To prove that the ro- only the role of Kohen Gadol is it has an inherited aspect, not that of Meshuach Milchama. Now how is that relevant to our question of whether the Meshuach Milchama wears the Eipigadim or not? So let's take a look. Okay, the Im Isa, and if what you're saying is true, that the Meshuach Milchama, we're two lines, three lines from the top, and I'm doing Lalef, that the Meshuach Milchama wears the Eipigadim, so Mechzuch so, since when can, is it, um, you know, since why, why won't the, why can't the Mashiach Nechamah go in on Yom Kippur? How do you know he can't? If he wears the Epigadim, if he's in that same status, right, so, so how do you know to exclude it? Um, so, so, so that is a proof from the fact that it's taken for granted that the Mashuach Nechamah is not fit for the Avodah of Yom Kippur. It must be because he doesn't have the status of the Kohen Gadol, because he doesn't wear the Eight Begadim. But if the Mashuach Nechamah really would wear the Eight Begadim, how would you know to exclude him from the possibility of going in on Yom Kippur? meaning let him be To go in on Yom Kippur, right. Uh-huh, yep. Okay. So the Gemara says, Amar Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, no, Hachi Kamar, Koshe Ikar Meshichatola Oomoeid. No, no, no. Even so, that verse can still clear, even if the Mashuach Melchama wears eight begadim, and even if in theory the Mashuach Melchama could go in on Yom Kippur, that verse that is talking about the inheritance of the status of this status of Kuhunav, Kohen Gadol, that clearly is only talking about Kohen Gadol and not Meshuach Melchama. Why? Even if it's theoretically it's available to the Meshuach Melchama. Because here's what the Bright is saying. That anybody who primarily a major role that is identified with their position is going into the Omoe. Which excludes this one, this reason, the reason he's given the status of a Meshuch Milchama is not to do the Avod on Yom Kippur, it's to lead the people into war. Okay, so again, where are we? There's an argument put out by Rabbi that a Meshuch Milchama wears the eight Begadim. The Gemara is assuming, which is an amazing assumption, that anybody who is, wears the eight Begadim um, can do the Avodah on Yom Kippur. Rashi says that it's based on the verse because it says at the end of the Avodahs of Yom Kippur, the Piperko Enerchim Shachotov Asher Yimaleit Yado. So, uh, refers to milu yadayim in other places the Gemara understands means the initiation through the wearing of the Gadim. 
So the Gemara understands once you say that a Mashiach of Nechama wears eight begadim, the eight begadim of the Kohen Gadol, he's fit for doing the Avodah of Yom Kippur. Okay, so that's really an important point for all of our Mesechet. One minute. But then the argument is trying to disprove it. And the first disproof is, is that we have a Brita that shows that the status of Mashiach Nechama has no sta- aspect of being an inherited status based on the verse that says, the verse that says, HaKohen Tachtav Mi Banav, which is showing the inherited status, so the inherited status is only for the Kohen Gadol who goes into the Omoed, so not the Mashuach Milchama. So this is the proof that the Mashuach Milchama doesn't wear Epikadim. Because he, according to you, it does wear Epikadim. He also is Yavo Olamoed. And the Gemara says, no, no, no. Still, the primary idea of going into Omoed is still by the Kohen Gadol. So that passage that talks about it being an inherited status, going into Omoed, is still talking about the Kohen Gadol. That's his pri- primary part of his role. It's not talking about the Mashuach Milchama. But that doesn't mean that the Mashiach Nechama can't do the Avod on Yom Kippur. He could do the Avod on Yom Kippur. He does wear eight begadim, and that is the current argument. Even though it is not an inherited status, the way the Kohen, Kohen Gedulah has an aspect of being an inherited status. Yes. So right. questions. And, uh, I don't know if we get into this now. You know, does the Mashiach Nechama also be entitled if the Kohen Gedulah is not there to do the Avod on he wants and all those kind of things? And the other question is. So we see that we don't always have Mashiach will come out, because then the, what about the first verse mission of Yuma, that when we take a Right. Right. So you wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, yeah, if it was a time of peace and there wouldn't be a Meshuch Nachama, you wouldn't have one. Let's wait to see where the Gemara goes, because the Gemara is eventually going to more or less reject this. So the Gemara says like this Mesray. Okay, so this is still the question whether the Meshuch Nachama wears eight begadim, and implicit with that whether he does the Avoda on Yom Kippur. So here's a long Brita. Meshuch Nachama ain't a Meshamesh, Loba Arba Kikoin Hedyot, Loba Shimona Kikoin Gadol. So the Meshuch Nachama doesn't wear the four begadim like a Kohen Hedyot because he's at a higher status, but not the eight begadim like a Kohen Gadol because he's not at the status of a Kohen Gadol. So first of all, that's a shocking uh-huh. statement. So Amalei Abaye, Elazar Mashri's way? So what? You're making him a non-Kohen? I mean, he's got to do one. There's got to be something that shows that, that, that allows him to do the Avodah that may give him a sta- you know, puts him in the status of a Kohen. Ella, it must be, the only reasonable explanation of this Brita is, that really he should wear the eight begadim like a Kohen Gadol. But he doesn't because a Kohen Gadol will think that will will feel like hatred, enmity, it's like a competitor. A Kohen Hadyot, but in Kohen Hadyot there's a more intrinsic reason why he doesn't wear the four begadim. Because you go up in sanctity and not down and he's at a higher status. Which basically means that in principle this Brita proves the position of Ravdimi. There's no way he could fundamentally not be entitled to wear either four or eight begadim. He's got to be able to wear some of the begadim and do the avodah. So clearly, six, right. So clearly, so clearly, says Abai, the only reasonable read is that he's entitled to wear the eight, but rabbinically we don't let him because there'll be too much enmity. But you see, in principle, he wears the eight like Ravdimi said. So Ravada Bar Ava said back to Rava, the high Tana the Lesle Eva, one minute. That's how you want to read it. I'm going to show you a Tana that does not hold of any concerns of Eva. The low Kamashamish and still says that he doesn't wear the eight begadim. So you're, you, you're not right. At least I'll show you a Tana that makes it clear that even without Eva concerns, fundamentally he does not wear the eight begadim. Where do you know this from? Ditanya. We're talking about Bryce, a very long Bryce in Horeos, a lot of Horeos. A major second parak of Horeos is about the status of Kohen Gadol and Kohen Hed, and, and, and Mishuach Nochama and so on. So here's what the Bryce says. Dvarim Shabain Kohen Gadol and Kohen Hedyot. Here are the following things that are differences between a Kohen Gadol and a, and a normal Kohen. 
par now Raji takes out the next the, those the, the first three words because it's really a repetition of the next idea so either it's par koin mashiach or par habal koin mitzvot it's the same thing but it basically means that when a koin gadol does a sin that a normal person would bring a chatas for instead of bringing a chatas which is uh, you know uh, which is like a, a, a sheep a koin gadol brings an ox okay so an ox that you would bring for any transgression of any what yeah exactly and it's a pie and exactly and the buzz is it's done inside the uh, heichal etc so you'd have a special type of a korban for a normal transgression of a mitzvah that a normal person would bring a chatas for that's one area aspect upar yom kippurim he'd bring the ox for himself and the you know the kohanim on yom kippur like we've been learning vasirit ha'ifa the tenth of the ifa that was brought as a mincha half in the morning half in the afternoon lo porei avlo poreim we read these psukim yesterday if he if an immediate relative would die he would not let his hair grow wild and would not rend his garments he's prohibited for doing those signs of mourning avlo he would rend his garments below, just not visibly above. Hopefully not the big day kuhuna, because we just learned yesterday that you transgress a lot if you tear the big day kuhuna. Um, interesting, right? Maybe it does. You know, be interesting to explore to explore that. But a normal kohen rends the garments above, you know, in a visible place against the heart, like we do. The ein lekrovav. He does not become tame even when an immediate relative dies. Again, that's a pasuk, right? He is commanded to marry a betula. He uses the word mitzvah because it's mitzvah asay. If he does not wear marry a betula, he transgresses an asay, but not a lot And he has a negative prohibition of marrying a a widow, right? So, he, so, so those are ex, those are additional to a normal kohen who does not have to marry betula and is not prohibited against an amanah. When he dies, the murderer in the Aramei class go back into you know go back home. Umakriv onain. He would even when an immediate relative dies, he continues to offer sacrifices even as an onain. That's umina mikdash lo That he stays in the mikdash and he stays working on the mizbeach. The eno ochel. But that's parenthetical. This is not a way he's different from a normal kohen. To say even though he's being makriv korbanot as an onain, which a normal kohen can, as which a normal kohen cannot do, he's still not entitled to eat the korbanot as an onain. That restriction does still apply. The and since. He doesn't eat the korbanot as an onain. He doesn't get a portion in the korbanot of that day, even if he wants to eat it that night when, his, when he is no longer an onain. Because if you're not entitled for a portion in the day, you don't get it. You know, if you're not entitled to eat during the day, you don't get an equal. You don't get a division in the portions. In, in the portions, okay. That's all like parenthetical to the idea. Even though he brings korbanot as an onain, he does not get to eat and does not get a portion. Okay. The note of Barosh, Whenever he walks into the base of mikdash, he can get the first dibs and the first portion of any division of Sabbath. Sacrifices, no longer talking about a normal case. He's not. Long, he's no longer an onain. Umakriv chayvik barosh, and he can decide to be makriv, you know, to do any of the avodot and to jump in front of the line and bring whatever, you know, put whatever portion, you know, uh, limbs on the altar, whatever he wants to do. Umishamish bishmona kelim, he wears eight begadim as opposed to a normal kohen who wears four. Upator al tumat mikdash Here's an interesting one, which the gemara there learns out from a pasuk that if he enters in the base of mikdash when he is tamei, there he has some exemption. Obviously, he's not allowed to, but he's, he has an exemption. Um, he, you know, he doesn't bring a korban for it. The call of Odas Yom Kippur named Kshemir Bo. I'm glad we mentioned that, since that's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. All of Yom Kippur can only be done by him. That's all by a normal Kohen, not by a Kohen Ejot. 
Okay. Um, all of these would apply even to a Kohen Gadol who was not anointed with the Shem because as we learned, you know, there was a certain time that the Shem Nemishka was hidden, um, but he would never, he would nevertheless be initiated into his role by wearing the eight Begadim. So whether you got your status by the anointing or whether you got it by wearing the Begadim, all of these special uh, roles apply to you. Chutz, the one exception is Mipar Baal Kol mitzvot, the special ox that would be brought when you did a sin that would normal person would bring a chatat for that the Gemara learns out elsewhere is only for somebody that was anointed with the Shem and Hamishcha that would be the one exception uh, between him and somebody that was anointed okay and now we get to where it's going to be relevant for us all of these statuses also continue to apply in somebody who was a previous a Kohen Gadol. Like, for example, he had a fill-in for the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, and now he's just been, like, you know, an ex-president, where you get all the status but nothing to do. So anyway, so a past Kohen Gadol, all of these things apply. Chutz mipar Yom Kippurim, except for the par of Yom Kippur, because obviously these are things that you only have one of. So you're not going to have multiple par Yom Kippurs on Yom Kippur, you know, multiple, you know, all the past Kohen Gadol's bringing their ass. There's only going to be one. So it's only going to be the current serving Kohen Gadol. The Asiri Taifa, and also similarly, the Asiri Taifa, the Mincha that's brought every day, there's only one of those that is brought. So that's only the acting Kohen Gadol. But all these other things, which would still apply even to somebody who was, an, who was a, a previous Kohen Gadol, a past Kohen Gadol, the Chulan Einanohagot, Ella Bimashuach Milchama, and none of these apply. None of these apply to the guy going to war, to the Kohen who is anointed for leading them to war. Except for the five things that are explicit in the beginning of Emor. Doesn't grow wild, doesn't rent his clothes when he's in mourning. Doesn't become Tamei to his relatives. He's commanded on the Betula. And again, prohibited on the Almana. And now, by the way, it's interesting, it does not mention that he's Makriv Onain, although that's also in the parts. I mean, Amistash Lo Yetzei, Rashi points out, you know, the Gemara that says that, learns that, that that doesn't apply to him. Okay. So anyway, but those things do, are the five that do apply to him, and possibly a sixth. Rebuda says that when he dies, the Rotseach goes free from the Arei Miklat. He doesn't. Okay. Now, what do we see from all of that? We see that the Mashuach Milchama, the Kohen Shavar, does wear a Pegadim. Right, because there's only one, there's, there's only like a difference of the Kohen Shavar was only like Par Yom Kippur Nativi Taifa. So the Mashuach Shavar wears a Pegadim, serves in the base of Mikdash with a Pegadim, um, you know, presumably, like Michael said, even if the Kohen Gadol is not working, presumably can even go ahead and step in and do the Avod of Yom Kippur. We said before, if he wears Ape Gadim, he can do the Avod of Yom Kippur. But the key is, he wears the Ape Gadim, the Mashuach Shavar. But the Mashuach Milchama doesn't. Right, the Mashuach Milchama, we said the only thing that applies to him is the stuff in the beginning of Emor. Not marrying a Basula, not marrying an Amana, not letting the hair grow wild. He does what? The only man. Only man. So thank you. Okay, wearing the Epikadim does not apply. So he says, look, this Tana is not concerned of Ava because he lets the previous Kohen Gadol wear the Epikadim. And nevertheless, he says, the Mashuach Milchama does not. So clearly, in principle, the Mashuach Milchama does not wear the Epikadim. Seems to be a very good proof. So let's see what the Gemara's answer is. Ki lesle Eva. No, 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 no. It's still about Eva. That's the only reason he's not. But there's different types of Eva. When does he, is he not concerned about Eva? When it's a guy that was at the same level. Okay, you were past going Gadol. You're entitled to wear the Shimon and Begadim. 
somebody at a lower status, Eastlay, that's going to be enmity. Oh my God, he's allowed to wear the Shmona Begadim. Now, of course, you can say the opposite. The person who you see as the greatest threat in the competition is the person that has the same role. But okay, but maybe it's not about maybe being more threat. Original. Maybe it's about seeing as a Begia in your Kavod. You know, the eight Begadim are supposed to only be worn by calling to the limb. You're going to wear it, you know. that. What does that do to my role? What does that do to my special status? Okay, so anyway, so the claim still is that in principle the Meshuach Melchama could wear it, but he's being prevented because of Eva, which basically means he can't serve in the base of Mikdash because he can't wear any Begadim. Okay, so we're not done. Yafi Rabbi Yavo, Rabbi Yavo, was sitting and telling over this uh, discussion in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, the discussion of Rav Dimi, because very often Rav Dimi reports things from Eretz Yisrael, like, I'm a Rav Dimi, I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. So he was telling over this whole point that in the name of Rav Dimi, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, that, uh, the coin, that, that he could in principle wear the Ape Gadim, the Meshach Melchama. So Hadrinu Rabbi Ami Rabbi Asi Lapai, so Vami and Rabbi Asi that were sitting there did not agree with it, didn't agree with all position, didn't certainly didn't agree that Rabbi Yochanan would ever have said it. So they turned their back on him. Now, now we're going to see in a minute why they didn't directly say something, but they obviously did that as a shine, as a sign of disagreement. Igadami, some say Rabbi Chibar Abba Amra that Rabbi Chibar Abba was the one who was telling it over in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Vadrinu Rabbi Ami Rabbi Asi Lapayu, and again Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi didn't agree with the position, didn't agree Rabbi Yochanan said it, and they turned their back on him. So now we're going to try to figure out who was the one who said the statement that they turned their back on. So Maskeisle Rabbi Rabbi asked on the second version of the story. I get if Rabbi Avo was the one telling it over. So Mishum Yikra de Bekesa, Rabbi Avo was very close with the Caesar's house. Okay, he had very he had political connections. So I get why they don't want to argue with him directly. And certainly you don't want to challenge him. Say, ah, oh, Rabbi Yochanan never would have said such a thing. You know, you don't challenge people that have a lot of strong political connections. Ella, <laughs> maybe events of the last week or two shows. Ella, Rabbi Chiyabar Abba, but, according, but if it was Rabbi Chiyabar Abba that, that said it, name away, name Um So, name away, say to him, name Omer, Rabbi Yochanan Achim. Rabbi Yochanan never said such a thing. So he doesn't get, so he, so he says, I don't buy the story that they turned it back unless it was Rabbi Avahu. Because if it was Rabbi Chiyabar Abba, then they would have just, you know, confronted him and said, Rabbi Yochanan never said such a thing. So it must have been Rabbi Yavahu who said it, and they didn't want to directly confront him, so they just (coughs) turned their back. Okay, so that's a little interesting parenthetical story about whether this was said by Rav Dimi, or Rav Dimi in the name of Rav Yochanan, and people that might have, you know, Rabbi Ami and Rav Asi, who rejected the idea that Rav Yochanan said such a thing. Now, Kiyasa Ravin, and when Ravin came from Eretz Israel, he had a different version of the whole story. Not that a Meshuch Nechama <coughs> wears eight begadim um, to do avoda in the Beit HaMikdash. Here was his version of the story. Nisho Itmar. No, 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 no. Now, now you understand why it's going on our Mishnah, or, and the, or why it started with the idea of Be'elu Nish'alim. It means when you ask the Meshuch Nechama a question about the war, and you want to ask him with, essentially you want to ask the Ur of the Tumen, you want to ask God, what should you do in the war? And you turn, not to the Kohen Gadol, you turn to the Meshuch Muhammad who's right there, you know, at the battlefield. So then he has to be wearing the Shemona Begadim. Not that he wears Shemona Begadim when he does the Avod in the Beit HaMikdash. That wasn't what we were saying. We were saying he wears the Shemona Begadim at the battlefield when you want to ask the Urim Betumim. And that's what our mission teaches, that when you want to ask the Urim Betumim, the coin has to wear the Shemona Begadim. So in that capacity, he but wears he the Shemona Begadim. Do, uh, if he wants uh, to do the Avod in the Beit HaMikdash, maybe only four Begadim. And there'd be no problem. Exactly. No, 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 Although, yeah, no, the no, bright no, is, no, yeah, well, that's a problem. That is true. It's a little bit funny because that's the bright that before said he can 
they can't wear either, right? So maybe he would be stuck. But again, that's bizarre. But okay. So anyway, Nisho Ikmar is talked about the asking him. Tiny Mami Hawking, we talk similarly. Begadim Shekoin Gadol Mishamish Behen, the eight Begadim that the Kohen Gadol does the Avoda with, Meshuch Milchama Nisho Behen. The Meshuch Milchama doesn't wear them for the Avoda, he does them to be asked when you're asking the Urim Batumim. Yes? I'm trying to remember. I mean, we spoke about what Mishicha. Yeah, I don't remember offhand. You know, when there was when there was Shevna Mishicha, would they have done it with Mishicha? They, they might have. Didn't they say the was Yeah, yeah, when there wasn't Shevna Mishicha, but they were saying when there was. Right, right. Why? Because one of the things that he can't do is call a Shem for Shem's Elabah. Right. Uh, but Kulav Elabah is a Merubah Gadim. So he's, he's like a Merubah Gadim if he doesn't get Mishra. Right. That's true about every Kohen Gadol since the period that the Shem and was, was, was hidden. Mm-hmm. That they're all Merubah Gadim. Merubah Gadim is a Kohen Gadol who just got that stat, so that's what the bright is saying. And the only difference would be this one korban that he wouldn't bring. Not the part of Yom Kippur, that he would bring. The part when he does a chait. Okay? Yeah. So Meru Begadim is a normal Kohen Gadol, just in a period when they didn't have Shemna Mishra. Okay. Um, so he wears the Begadim, yes, but not to do the Avoda, to be asked from the Urim Betumim. Now we get to talk about the, how one asks the Urim Betumim. Tanu Rabbanan, we don't advise that. Ketzad Sholim. How do you... That the... The evidence is that a Mashuch Melchama in principle does not wear Shemona Begadim to do the Avoda. That's all the evidence. But he would wear it when he's out of the base of Mikdash and you're asking him the Urim Betumim. We're rejecting the first... Uh, yeah, I mean, we need to officially reject it. Well, but the, the evidence is against it. Tanu Rabbanan. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So he just Mashuch... Um, he's wearing the Shalana Begadim outside yeah. the out on a battlefield presumably yes correct that's a huge image yeah it is <laughs> right Tanu Rabbanan how do you ask Hashoel Panav Klape Nish'al the Shoel faces the one being asked the Kohen Gadol or the Mashuach Milchama the Nishal is looking to the Shechina. So you would think it means looking up to the heaven, right? But what does it mean looking to the Shechina anyway? That's obviously just a metaphor. So Rashi says it means looking towards the Choshen, and look, which has in it God's name, you know, which is, you know, which is inside the uh, Choshen, which is the Urim Vitumim. Hashoel um, Omer, so the show would say, and now we're quoting Sukim from Nach, where they actually asked the Kohen Gadol, and they asked the Kohen, who was about the, you know, um, these, these questions, they asked God these questions through the Kohen. Shall I chase after this, uh, you know, this uh, army troop? And then the one being asked would respond, So says God, go up and be victorious, right? So again, quoting Sukim. He would not say, so says God, because obviously he's talking in the name of God. Um, he would just say, go up and be victorious. You don't ask in a loud voice. You should ask him. Right? This is the passage where, where God is telling Moshe to appoint Yehoshua, and it says that he will, right? that by him, he will go in, you know, he will take the people into, out to war, he will take them back, and it says, here, I'll read you the passage. Right. 
Right, just like this. The Amarato toe, you take your say it says, But you must show Moshe, Kakarat Yosho Binun, Isha Sharuach Bo, Samachat Yachalav. The Amarato toe, he's nailed his arc, and he was Nikolai David Sivito, Tole Enehem. So that's him as political leader. So here you have the, interestingly, right, the leader asking the Kohen Gadol, who's wearing the Urim V'tumim, by his words they shall go out, and in his words they will come back. So presumably his word is Yahushua's words, not the Elazar HaKohen, but nevertheless, it's on the basis of him asking the Urim V'tumim. So you get that image of asking the Urim V'tumim about going out to war and the political leader leading the people to war. Okay, so Vishal Lo, so Lo means him, meaning only he can hear. It's not loud, other people can hear. It's only to him, only the Kohen, only the Kohen can hear, so it's a low voice, it's not a loud voice. The so, Loma Harher Belibo, but you also don't just think the question. Shenemar Vishalo Lifnei Hashem. Now, what's the proof you don't think it? So Rashi says it's the next part of the verse, Alpiv. So Sha'al Alpiv, you have to actually verbalize. So you verbalize, but it's not loud. Okay? So what does that sound like? You know, you verbalize it, you don't just think it, but nobody else can hear, it's very low. Like Chana Shenemar. Okay, now obviously it refers also to the end of the Pasuk, right? Right, 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 what is it? Raksvateha naoz v'kololo yishamea. Right, so her lips were moving, but it couldn't be heard. Well, here it has to be a little, but somebody has to hear you. <laughs> the Korean has to hear you. But the idea of verbalizing, but very softly. It's interesting, framing it almost as a type of a tefillah, you know. Ain't showing Schneid what? That story about the Kohen Gadol. Right, and thank you. That story also is about the Kohen Gadol. Actually, the, I, I, remind me about that because there's a famous <coughs> gra on, about that story about how the how Ailey could have misunderstood it if he had the Urim Vitumim. So I'll get back to that. Ain't showing Schneid Verim Echad. You don't ask two things at once, right? You can only ask one request at a time. And if the person did ask two things, the uh, he would only get one answer. You'd only get uh, only have one of them answered. Why? I don't know. The Aimach is very low. Ella we shown, and if he's going to get, if he asks two things, he's only answered on the first one. and we see this happened because um, because uh, the pasuk says this is by David, I believe. Hayas Giruni be'alei ki'ila biyado hayere Shaul. Will the Shaul? Right. Thank you. Thank you. Shaul. Okay. Will the people of Kila hand me over into his hands? Will Shaul come down? Vayomer Hashem. Um, Yeraid, he will come down. Well, that's the last so that's one. the last one. The Amarta ain't One minute you said you only answer the first question. Here I answer the second question. David Shahal Shalokuseda. Yeah, there was he asked the wrong order, so he answered what should have been the first question. <laughs> okay, the Achzira Lokuseda. He was given he was given the right answer. The first question should have been his soul going to be down. Today the question was would have been about the Anshei Kliila. The Kivan Shiadashi Shahal Shalokuseda. Once he realized he asked in the wrong order, then he asked to the right order, because afterwards, after he got the answer about Shaul, he said, will the people of Kila hand me over um, into the hands of Shaul? First we have to know whether Shaul was there, right, it's only relevant if Shaul was there, what? Right, so he asked it again, now he asked the second question, now that he got the idea that you're only supposed to ask one, and he got the idea that he answered, he asked the wrong one first, Vayom Hashem Yasgiru, that he will, they will hand over. Now, if there was a need to ask two questions, Raj said, you don't have time to go, in, to go through this whole thing process twice. You need, you're in a rush. 
and you need to ask two questions, then machzirin lo shaim. There are times where you could get the two things answered. Should I run after this uh, this troop? Will I, will I uh, you know, uh, catch up to them? Run after them because you will uh, you will you will catch up to them and you will save the people. Okay, so that's two things. Should I do it? And what will the what will the outcome be? Um, although sometimes what a Navi decrees could go could be taken back like by Yonah the people did Shuva um, it's a fascinating Rambam that discusses how do you test if somebody is a Navi because somebody says uh, somebody gives a prophecy and it doesn't come true ah you see you're not a Navi but what do you mean maybe it didn't come true because sometimes God's decrees are reversed like by Yonah so, uh, so he says he has to say something good is going to happen and then it won't come true because God won't reverse that but something bad God could reverse so anyway the Gemara here is making reference to the idea that not sometimes a Navi will say something it'll be a decree from God and it won't come true even though that's true anything that comes out of the Urim Vitumim will, ne- will not be returned empty meaning will not you know will, will, will always come true the law of the Urim it's like absolute so Lamanikrishman Urim Vitumim and now why were their name called the Urim Vitumim? Urim Shemi Irimis Divrahem, they give light to their words. You hear, you know, you get God's communication through them. Actually we'll see a minute in the way it might literally mean light. Tumim Shemashwinim S Divrahem. Tumim complete, like we said before. What's said is final, it's not going to be reversed. In the Pilegish Begiva, the Valley of Binyamin, why is it that the words did not come true, were not fulfilled? So, because it, it actually the words were fulfilled. The people didn't bother to ask the right question. They didn't try to understand. Right? They asked whether they should go to battle. They were told to go to battle. They didn't ask whether they would win or not. They just asked whether they would go to battle. You didn't ask the important question. So the words did come true. They were never promised victory. And the people did not try to discern whether it meant that they were going to win or whether they would be conquered. At the end, when they finally did discern that, then they were, you know, then, they, then it was, uh, then, you know, it was, they, they, they were sat, meaning, uh, you know, what, what they had requested was given to them. As the verse says, should I once again go to war against my brother Binyamin? Should I stop? Go to, go to war tomorrow I will give them over so that was the only time that they were told they would win so then they actually did win beforehand it wasn't that the words didn't come true it's that they didn't ask the right question and okay, so uh, sort of a little misleading I was asking should I go alright you want to lose alright I mean, you, know. you, you gotta know how to ask so how would the word how would the communication occur about you know how would God's words be uh, communicated to the Kohen Gadol so Rabbi Yohananomer Boltot the letters that were engraved in the stones right the stones were corresponding to the Yud Gimel Shvatim to the Yud Bet Shvatim excuse me and each one had engraving the different name Ruvain Shimon etc so the right letter, letters would like would like protrude out you know would sort of become raised on the surface and you would see the re- letters that were protruding and that would be how how, how they how God's word would be communicated. They would somehow be combined. It's not exactly clear how they would be combined. Somehow, maybe, you know, there were, I don't know, there'd be some image of the words in front of it. Somehow the, the words would, the, the letters would get rewritten. So the letters would like, you know, it wouldn't just be, it, it, it wouldn't just be that, le- that letters would 
pop out and you'd have to combine the letters maybe actually the engravings the, what was engraved would be you know, reconfigured so the engravings would reconfigure themselves the halok sivahutsadi one minute says it you can't say that you don't have a complete alphabet so if you go through the names of the shvakim there's no tsadi and if you look at the gra he points out there's also no chet and no kuf so you can't just say that it's going to be how the letters are going to combine. Also, what if it happens to you if you have to repeat a letter? Okay, anyway, so, but it can't just be reconfiguring the existing letters. So, Amar Vakaba Yaakov, Shivte Yeshur and Ksiv Sham. No, on top of it, they, they, um, they, uh, they wrote, I'm sorry, I skipped down the line. I was wondering, where's the Tzadi? Amar Shmuel by Yitzchak, Avam Yitzchak Yaakov, Ksiv Sham. No, together with the names of the Shvatim, it also said, somehow distributed over the 12 stones, Avram Yitzchak Yaakov. I don't know. The ha, so that gets you a tzadi and a chet and a kuf, or you can get all that by Yitzchak. So anyway, the ha loksi's tet. Okay, but if you go through, you still don't have a tet in any of the words. It was also in Shivtayishur, and you had all the letters. I don't know what happens if you need a letter multiple times. Okay, Mesve. You have to buy a vowel. Yeah, I know, but you have to buy a vowel. Coco and Mesve, I'll ask you. Coco and Sheino Medabi Brocha Kodesh Rashina Sharlav ain't Charlene Bo. If a coin does not speak with the divine spirit and does not have the divine presence rest on him, you don't ask him. Sharei, Sha'al, Tzadok, Altalo. Sha'al was asked and he, got, he was given an answer of Yasser below Altalo, as Yasser was not. So you see, it's not just wearing the Urim Vitumim. And the Gemara understands that that requirement is not just necessary, but it's also sufficient. What it means is, is that it's not some magic with the letters. It means the Kohen Gadol is fit for having Nivuah or the Divine or the Ruach HaKodesh speak through him and the, when you ask he gets divine inspiration and he tells you he, you know, he gets Ruach HaKodesh it's not through some magic of letters. So it's not like you're saying it. So the Gemara says Shenemar, I'm sorry. Vayal Avyatar Atom Kolam Avyatar went up, and which we read, read, which is read to mean that Avyatar was removed from the status. He did not have, you know, he was asked the question, and the and the answer did not come to him. So you see, it's not about the magic of the Urim Vitumim. It's about the having Ruach Hakodesh. So the Gemara says no. No, the Kohen Gadol's Ruach HaKodesh was help the Urim Vitumim, meaning, so you need the Ruach HaKodesh to come through the Kohen, but operate through the Urim Vitumim. It's not that, so yes, the Ruach HaKodesh is necessary, but it's not sufficient. It's not fundamentally, the Urim Vitumim puts me in the right frame of mind or in the right state that I can speak to you with Ruach HaKodesh. That's not the way it works. If I am in a position that I have Ruach HaKodesh, I can get Ruach HaKodesh, that Ruach HaKodesh will come through me and speak through the Urim Betumen, but the way it speaks is still through the raising of the letters. So I want to tell you a, a cute gra, because the gra asked, as was pointed out, how did Ailey not know what Hannah was doing? Yeah, and did, didn't he have, like, didn't he have uh, you know, the Urim Betumen? So it says, yes, but the letters that appear, because what was not explained, if the letters pop out, how do you know how to, how to arrange them? Right? It's like, what, what's that called? A word jumble? Anyway, so he said by Sarah, by, 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 by Hannah, the letters were Kafka, Sin Reish Hey Kisara like he's like sorry maybe she's praying says he's Akara and he misarranged them and he read it as Shikora <laughs> that's very so that's a little cute little voice because anyway if you were going to say to anybody you would have said to Rivka we never see Sarah praying for her to have herself that's a little a nice little voice yes 
Well, you didn't have the uh, divine name written inside of it, and you didn't have the ability to ask. I don't know. Point was, you didn't have. It was part of the general sense of not having the same presence of God's presence. So who knows? Even if you were to put God's name in there, it wouldn't have worked. You know, it didn't. It didn't have. The, it didn't operate. The Ain The only people that can be uh, can ask is a king and a the mission. The mission says based in or av based in, and somebody that's done. You know, for like the purpose, national purposes. So the Gemara says Minani Mili. Where's this from? I'm Rabbi Avoh. I'm Back to the Pesukim by Yoshua. So who he should ask? So you know who? What's the buzzer? Vishal lo b'mishpat ha'urim. A pibe say who? Who v'chol b'nei Yisrael ito v'chol ha'ida? So who? Zemelech. The Chobanei Yisrael ito zemashuach milchama, which is interesting. The mashuach milchama not only is the askei, but could also be the asker, the people that is leading the people into war. That's the Sanhedrin, the people that represent the entire community. That's the idea of the Abbasin, and the Meshuk Mohammed represents the idea of national need, Those are the people that can ask the Urim Batumim. Kohen. So now we are done with the first seven prakim, which is the Avodas Yom Kippur, and we finally turn to the eighth parak, which is about the Yom Kippur in terms of the Isra of fasting and the, the, the obligation of fasting, the Isra of eating, all of the halachot that apply to us today. If you take a look at a short little Tosvos explaining just the order, he says, Yom Kippurim, so it says, Seder Mesechta, the way the whole Mesechta is organized, Chilos Nakat Zayin Yamim Kodim Yom Kippurim, we start before Yom Kippurim, the seven days leading up, then it talks about the night before how they would prepare the Kohen Gadol right they prevent him from sleeping the whole thing then they tell you about all the Avoda in the Beis HaMikdash now it's telling you the Allah that apply everything that's outside of the Beis HaMikdash what I would also suggest by the way is it's quite interesting that we talked about seven days leading up and then the eighth day of the preparation right seven days prior to Yom Kippur and the eighth day was Yom Kippur so we have seven Prakim that precede and the eighth parak is like our Yom Kippur. Now, you could say that's just fortuitous, but I would also point out that in Masechet Shabbat, you have, you know, Masechet Shabbat is very strange. It starts with Erev Shabbat and goes on and on and on about Hosea'ah, and, you know, it doesn't tell you anything about the Malachot until you get to, and he gets which parak? The seventh parak. The seventh parak, right? So, yeah, and the Rambam organizes his Hilchot Shabbat the same way. He has six prokim of more or less foundations and introductions, and he only gets to the Malachot by the seventh parak. So I would argue that it's not coincidental that we had seven days of preparation and for pre pre the avodah and seven prakim before we get well, to this final part. Represents the uh, sign of the covenant because like a great mila. So okay. Maybe maybe it doesn't work for my for the Shabbos word, but okay. Yom Kippurim what? I know, but that was seventh paragraph of the Malachot. Okay. Yom Kippurim Asur Ba'achibah Bushriya. Yom Kippurim is forbidden to eat and drink. One of the fascinating things we're going to see is that the Torah never says, say, you shall not eat or drink. It just says an say of Te'anu Asnafshosechem. You shall make yourself, you know. Okay, we will see, but that's descriptive. Anyway, so that's going to be interesting, but we're describing it not just as a mitzvah to fast, but as a prohibition. Um, so it's prohibited to eat and to drink. To bathe, to anoint oneself, to wear shoes, and to have sex. 
However, the, a king and a new bride can wash their face because it's very important their appearance. The king has to look away to the whole people. The kala, there's a concern that she's just married, so um, so the husband, right, just the face. The husband, you know, again, especially I guess if you assume that it was arranged marriages and so on, the husband, uh, you know, is for, it, it might get turned off right at the beginning of the marriage. So they are allowed to wash their face. We will discuss. Um, we will discuss whether these prohibitions, other than achila and shia, are biblical or rabbinic. Obviously, if they are rabbinic, you more understand why we give certain latitude. But there are definitely opinions that they are biblical, and we'll have to see about that. Vachaya, I will worry about that. Vachaya tinolet asandal, a woman in childbirth can wear shoes because uh, you know just keeps her feet warm or whatever. Although so there is one, that's the standard read. There is one achron who wants to read it that it means a midwife. Chaya does sometimes mean a midwife, and she has to go help somebody give childbirth so she can wear her shoes to get there, which makes a little bit more sense. But anyway, but the standard reading is a woman in childbirth. That's Rabbi Eliezer, the stage is prohibited. If somebody eats the size of a pressed date, um, a, big one, right? a big one, a big right, a big pressed date. It's a date, right? Not a fig. I always get that. I always get that mixed up, right? People have that. Have some English or something that tells them what the kosevet date, a pressed date, a big pressed date. It including the size of its uh, pit. So I guess that's how I should have known it was a date. The or somebody who drinks the fill of one of their cheeks. So again, it is not a cheek. Yeah. Well, okay, that's true. We'll see about cheek or cheeks. Good point. We'll get. We'll see about that. Um, yes, Michael's right. Cheeks. We'll see about that. So um, this is different than the normal shear. The normal shear of eating is what? What's the normal minimum size of eating? Kizayis. What's the normal minimum size of drinking? A revit, right? Here it's different because here it's not about the act of eating and the act of drinking. Here it's about afflicting yourself, fasting, or abating that fast. So that's a different amount, that amount that, gives sa- that, that, that satiates, and that's why the size here is different, and we'll see about that as well. Um, if you eat different foods, you, you take the sum total, and if there's a minimum size, you transgress. Um, and all different types of drinks um, are total together. If you drink different things, and if you have drunk now the minimum amount, the, the fill of your cheeks, then you have transgressed. However, if you eat, you know, one little bit less than a kotevet and you drink one little bit less than malay lugmav then you have not transgressed even though combined what you ate and drank is obviously a lot okay so now we're going to start with the first word, or the third word here, which is asur. It is forbidden. I mean, it's more than just forbidden. You're chayef kares. You know, it's a biblically forbidden. Asur is often a word you use in a rabbinic context. So let's see what the Gemara says. Asur, what do you mean it's just forbidden? And which karesu? It's punishable by kares if you eat on Yom Kippur. So, Amar Rebbe Ila, Vitemer Rebbe Yirmiya, Lo Nitzrucha El Chatzishir. It says asur to tell you that even later we're going to talk about the minimum size. Here it's saying that even if you eat a tiny bit and drink a tiny bit, even less than the minimum size, it still is forbidden. And this now opens up a sugya, which is not a unique Yom Kippur sugya, a sugya of chatzishir. What type of transgression is it to do if you do the wrong thing, but not the minimum amount that you normally need in order to say you've transgressed or you get lashes? It's still forbidden. There's a question, is it biblically forbidden or rabbinically forbidden to do, less than the, to do it, but to do less than the minimum? So therefore, Asur refers to a scenario that you ate a chatzishir, not literally chatzishir, anything less than the full amount. Um, even a tiny bit. So the Gemara says, one minute. 
That's good if chati shir is a biblical issue, biblically forbidden to eat even less than the minimum. But if it's only rabbinic, what can you say? Because we're assuming that the word asur here does refer at least to biblically forbidden. So what can you say? Now, and now we're going to introduce the debate. Um, um, the Itmar was taught. It's biblically forbidden. It's permissible biblically. So the says, So according to Rabbi Yochanan, we understand it would say Asur. It's not saying Karet. It's talking a little bit, but it's still forbidden. It's still even biblically forbidden. Why would you say Asur? Chatishir is not Asur. So the Gemara says the obvious answer. No. Rishlakish would agree that it's rabbinically forbidden. Nobody disagrees that it's forbidden. The question is only biblical or rabbinic. So again, the question was, why does our Mishnah open with the word Asur? It's much weightier. And it says it opens with that word in a, to talk about a scenario that you ate even less than the minimum amount. Because even though that's not karate, it still is forbidden, according to Rabbi Yochanan, biblically, and according to Rishlakish, rabbinic. So now the Gemara says like this, Ihachi, one minute. If everybody agrees it's forbidden, even Rish Lakish agrees it's forbidden rabbinically, you shouldn't be chai of a korban when you make an oath about it. What does this mean? So here's the scenario. We taught in the Mishnah. If somebody takes an oath in the following way, an oath that I won't eat anything, and you eat tray foods, so chayev, you transgress. Okay, Rabbi Yoshimon Poter, Rabbi Shimon exempts. Now, many of you have heard the phrase, Mushbavi Omed Maharsinai. If you are pre forsworn, uh, that's redundant, if you are forsworn from Harsinai, taking another oath upon yourself does not take effect because you are already prohibited. So, how do you transgress? You, how do you transgress your Shavuah when you eat trace? You were already prohibited of eating trace, and the Shavuah not to eat would not have applied to the trace food. That's the question. Why would the rabbi say you transgress? Um, okay. So, Vavinambam, we asked, Am I chayev? Why are you chayev when you eat tray food? You're already forsworn from Harsinai, and the Shavuah should not have taken effect. So, Ravishmo Rabbi Yochanan, the Amri, so Ravishmo Rabbi Yochanan, they all say, No, because he didn't say, I won't eat trace. He said, I won't eat Shavuah and if you make a category that's a larger category, and the shvur takes effect on part of it, it takes effect on all the kosher food. So once the shvur takes effect, it takes effect on the non-kosher as well. Okay? So again, the case is you said, a shvur I won't eat. You ate trace. Did you transgress your shvur? It shouldn't take effect because you're already forsworn. And Rabbi Yochanan and Rav and Shmuel say, yes, it did take effect. Because when you said you won't eat it, it applied to all foods, and that's called kolel, and therefore it applied to the tray food as well. That's their answer. Reish Lakish Amar, but Reish Lakish says, Iyakamotse elabimafarish chatzishir ve'alibad rabbanan obistam ve'alibad rabbi akiva. Here's the scenario in which you will transgress, even if you say a shvua that I won't eat tray food. If you say a shvua I won't eat a half of a kezayis of tray food, then it, you'll t- that shvua will take effect because you're not forsworn on a half of a kezayis. So that's b'nafaresh chatishir. You explicitly say, I won't eat a half a kezayis of chazer. Then, then the shul will take effect. That's b'nafaresh, you say. Or b'stam alibit Rebbe Akiva. Rebbe Akiva says, when you take a shvua, I won't eat. Even without saying how much, when you take a shvua of not eating, it refers even to a tiny amount. Okay, so there's a general debate in shvua, although by tray food, everybody agrees it's a kezayis. 
There's a general debate if you say a shvu I won't eat, whether it means a kazayas or a little bit. So he says, if you normally say it means a kazayas, so you said explicitly, I won't eat a half a kazayas. If you say normally I won't eat, it means even a little bit, you don't have to say anything explicitly. And the reason the shvu takes effect is now the shvu, whether you explicit or implicit, prohibits you at eating a half a kazayas, even a tiny amount, and that you're not mushbav that you're not pre-forsworn biblically. And therefore the shvu took effect. So what do you see? You see, according to Reish Lakish, you are not forsworn against eating this. Now you would say, right, because it's not biblical. It's only rabbinic. But the Gemara assumes that even if it's only rabbinic, you have to listen to the rabbis according to the Torah. So this is a fascinating question. If something is rabbinically forbidden, does that make you mushba the omeh? So we'll just read the one sentence of the answer and continue with this tomorrow. So, even a tiny bit. And now we're going to see, what, tomorrow we'll see what the challenge is. But the obvious answer is, yeah, Reish Lakish says, Chatzish is only rabbinic. So even though you have to listen to the rabbis, it's not considered mushba the omate. Okay, so again, just to tell you where we're going to pick up tomorrow, Rabbi Yochan and Reish Lakish agree you can't eat less than a min amount. Rabbi Yochan says biblical, Reish Lakish says rabbinic. And now we are seeing an, what we would say is an application of that idea that it's rabbinic, that if you take a shvua not to eat a half a shear of chazer, according to Reish Lakish, it takes effect because that's not biblically prohibited. It's only rabbinically prohibited and therefore that shvua can take effect. And we will see about how the Gemara develops the